All right, good morning. How are you guys? Doing okay? Okay, so the weather's getting beautiful. So um, I will take it that we haven't gotten any, but you know, we have those um, like sign up type of sheets that we ask you guys to think about who you might invite over to your house or go out and, you know, have a picnic in the park with or go to the beach or something like that. Gather and try and connect with each other. I, um, BJ mentioned that in the announcements. And we haven't received any of those back. So I'm just going to assume it was because the weather was so bad. You guys just gotten, haven't gotten around to it, but you guys are on it, right? Right? Because this is the summer of connection. That's why we're having the picnic. You know, on the 23rd, that's what we're doing because we need to be connected as a community, right? Oh, wow, that was rousingly enthusiastic. All right, well, um, I'm gonna leave that with you anyway. So uh, that's what we're about this summer. Don't forget it. Even if you don't tell us, at least invite some people together so you can get to know some people who are part of this community God has made you a part of. It's a good community, isn't it? I like it. I like you guys. It's okay. Hope you guys like me okay. Hey, how many of you guys has this ever happened to you? You go on a, um, you go on a trip somewhere, you open up your, your suitcase, and you find that somebody has packed something that you didn't expect, right? Now, sometimes it's a good surprise. Carrie used to, like, she'd drop cards in there, or I'd get, like, cookies. They'd be hidden in there or something like that. And so um, some of you guys might have been on a trip, and maybe one of your kids, they packed a stuffed animal so that you wouldn't feel so lonely while you were gone. And what they do is they remind you, right? They remind you of who you've left behind of who you're going home to. They remind you of the love that waits for you when you get home, right? But sometimes people have to pack stuff for you to make that happen. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus says that, um, in the second line of that story, Jesus said that the prodigal son, um, when he was leaving, he gathered all that he had together and he he put it and he, he took off on his trip. And this trip was one where he was telling him on the way out the door, he was like, you know what? Don't ever expect to see me again. I'm leaving this place, I'm gone, right? So he was cutting ties. What he didn't realize was that long before he ever left, long before he probably even knew he was leaving, the father was already starting to pack his bags for him in case that day ever came. And he was packing something in there that he would need to have that would be the very thing that would remind him of the love that waited for him at his home if he ever needed to come home. You know, before Jesus tells this story of the prodigal, he tells two other stories in Luke 15, and we're gonna look at those because what they really do is they help set this story up, they help accentuate, they help kind of focus us on this one thing, on this thing that was very different about this search that God was doing, that the Father was doing for the Son that represents how God searches for us. So let's stand, Uh, we're gonna look at Luke chapter 15, verses one through 10. It says, when even the tax collectors and the sinners began coming to Jesus to listen to him teach, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it over his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he gets home, he calls together all the guys, friends and neighbors, and says to them, celebrate with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And in the same way, there will be more celebrating in heaven over the one sinner who returns than over the 99 righteous who don't need to repent. Or what woman among you 
If she has 10 silver coins and loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together all the girls, friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me for I found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, there is more joy. There is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who returns. Jesus told two stories and he told them to this audience who would have understood both of those stories. They understood what it was to have a sheep that wanders off, what it was like to have a coin that you've dropped and it became lost. But all of that was only meant to clarify the difference, how different a search is when you're not looking for a sheep, you're not looking for a coin, but when you're looking for a child. You're looking to bring home a son or a daughter that not only has gotten lost, but they have intentionally left They've come to believe that their greatest freedom is going to be found as far away from you as possible. It ends up that to find, to search for, to find that child, you have to start packing something in their suitcase before they even know that they're going to leave. You have to start embedding something in their belongings that they won't even know is there until possibly the very end of their, their journey away. Today's message is titled, Can't Leave Home Without It. (laughs) Father, I thank you that you know. You know who we are. You know what we need. You know how you've made us. You know that we're not just sheep or coins. You know we're not just possessions to you. We're your people. We're your children. We're the ones that you love. Father, come today and open up this, this word to us. Help us to understand, help us to see the things that Jesus is saying so that we understand not just how you see us and how you love us, but how you search for us and how we can join you in that search for so many others who you love, who may be wandering, who may not even have started off on their wandering yet, but God, who who you seek to bring home. So Father, Open our eyes and our ears to see you, to hear you, to hear your voice, to hear the voice of your spirit. Take this space, this time, and set it apart. Use it as a a place where you are able to do your will. I pray that you would drive out anything that would distract or disrupt. And instead, that this would just be that place that we can sit with you and hear your words to each one of us. I pray that you would touch and speak to our hearts And again, if there are any that are running from or have moved away from you, that they too, they would see how you constantly are calling, searching, drawing them. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. You know, when we search for something, we only search for things that matter, right? We only search for things that are valuable. And the more valuable they are, the more that we're willing to invest in the search. If you've ever lost your wallet <laughs> or misplaced your keys, right? Or how many of you guys have ever gone to like a restaurant or a store and you leave your credit card there, right? If that's ever happened, you know that, that panicky feeling <laughs> that all of a sudden when you realize the thing is gone and, and it just kind of, it just overtakes you and, and it really starts, it stirs you and it grows as as the importance of that thing, as the value of that thing. So if you take that, that feeling of like misplacing a wallet or keys or whatever, you take it about times trillion and a half, that 
begins to approximate, begins to approach what you feel when you realize your child is missing, right? If you've ever been in a department store and all of a sudden you look around and they're not there anymore, I've seen mothers shut down stores as they're looking for their child until they find that child. But what if that child is an adult, right? What if that child is, they're not just missing, but they've intentionally, they've, they've left. They've kind of, they have declared to you that they want nothing to do with you or nothing to do with, with what you represent. And they, they, they've taken off. Well, there, there's no locking down of anything that's gonna help that. Right? There's no normal kind of search. In fact, the harder you run after them, the harder they run away from you. So what do you do with that? How do you find a child that has intentionally gone missing? Because Jesus says that is the situation that God is in with each and every one of us. How do you find a child that has intentionally gone missing? Now to set this up, Jesus tells these two stories. One's about a sheep and one's about this coin. And in the first one, he's talking to the guys in the crowd because the guys would have been the ones who would have considered themselves the sheep owners. And he said, how many of you uh, guys, if you had 100 sheep and you found one of them went missing, how many of you wouldn't leave the 99? Now, he's not leaving them vulnerable. They're just, they're just pasturing. They're just out grazing. They're doing fine. How many of you wouldn't leave them knowing they're gonna be fine and go find the one? And why would you do that? Well, because a sheep is a big deal. I mean, a sheep is worth a full day's wages. And not only that, but the sheep represented the wool that's gonna make your clothing. The sheep represented lambs that are gonna come in the future, the future of your flock. Sheep represented food for your family. Sheep were a big deal. And so, yeah, you'd go search and you'd go find it. Then he turns to the ladies in the crowd and he says, ladies, how many of you hasn't had 10 silver coins that you've been saving up and all of a sudden you lose one of them. How many of you wouldn't turn the house upside down and not stop until you found it? And he's talking about these coins, these coins that he's talking about were, uh, the, the one he mentions is actually, it's worth a day's wages as well. It's worth a sheep. You could go buy a sheep with this coin. And he says, you got 10 of them and you lost one of them. How many of you, wouldn't turn the house upside down to find it because these, these coins, what they represented was you have been gathering, you've been collecting them for what? Maybe for a rainy day, maybe for retirement, maybe for just running your household, maybe to invest in something like a small flock. But Jesus, what he's doing by telling us these stories, he's, he's tapping into that feeling that we all know. What if you lose something that's important to you, you know how it feels and you know what you would do. And the more valuable it is, you know how you would, take, you would use everything you had to go and find it. Now, when he tells these stories, the, the crowd thinks, well, maybe he's getting at this question that we asked at the beginning, because at the beginning, they asked him a question. They said, Jesus, why do you treat so charitably all these despicable people that are hanging out, right? They had these tax collectors, and the tax collectors, they were traitors, they were treacherous, they were greedy, they were ripping people off. He says, why do you treat them well? Why do you treat these sinners? They're filthy, they don't care about anything that God cares about. They're, they're making life and they're making this world miserable for us, so why do you treat them so well? And in his language, it sounded like he might be, he might be giving them an answer because for the men, he's talking about sheep and, and everybody in that crowd knew that God regularly talked about his people as his flock, as his sheep. 
And they knew that these tax collectors and these sinners they were talking about, they knew that they were Jewish. They knew that they were part of God's people in that kind of broader sense. And so they, they were like, okay, so maybe, maybe it makes sense. Maybe that makes sense that God would go out to find one of these sheep that's wandered off. Okay, that makes sense. To the women, he's talking about these coins. And, and everybody knew that in Deuteronomy 7 that God had called Israel, his people, his special treasure. And so maybe that would make sense that if God had lost one coin out of that treasure, had got dropped, had fallen away, had gone off and gotten lost, then maybe he would search for that, that treasure. But then Jesus kind of ratchets up the, in, the intensity of the story. He says, yeah, so, you know, a sheep. A sheep is important, you guys know that. A, a coin's important, you, you women know that. But then he says, but... Now I wanna tell you this story from God's point of view, from God's perspective. Because we're not talking about a sheep. This isn't talking about a coin. This is talking about a child. This is talking about a beloved child. Do you guys know that when God searches for you, he doesn't see it as a search of something valuable or useful that he has hundreds of? He doesn't, sometimes we think we get lost in the crowd with God. He says, no, I want you to know you're not one of a hundred. In fact, you're not even someone that's valuable or profitable to him, one in a few. He says, I want you to know, Jesus is saying, I want you to know that when God searches for you, he searches for you as one who is doing everything they can as a, for searching for a beloved child who is one out of two. There's the one who left and there's the one who stayed home. And last week we saw that there's only one child of God who ever really stayed by his side and that's his son, Jesus. He's the only one that really stayed home. The rest of us have all gone out and he says, I want you to know that God is looking for you. You. Because of his love for you. We also need to know that when we look and we see others who have strayed away from God, right? Who have wandered off. Because we need to ask ourselves, am I seeing that person with the eyes that God sees them? Am I viewing them with God's eyes, not just as useful, not just as valuable, not just as profitable, but one who is loved as if they were the only one? That's what he's asking. He's asking these Pharisees and these, these scribes. He's saying, do you realize who these people are you're talking about? In God's house, people are the point. Why? Because they're useful, because they're valuable, because they're profitable? No, because they are loved. You, me, even those who aren't even in this place or anywhere close to God because they are loved. Well, Jesus goes on and tells about the sheep. He says, upon discovering that one of the sheep is missing, the owner, he leaves the 99. The 99, they're doing just fine in the open field and he, they're not wandering anywhere. So he leaves them and what does he have to do? I mean, he goes up the hills and he goes down in the ravines. He goes beating through the bushes until he finds the sheep. And then <laughs> he has to put the thing over his shoulder and he has to make his way back out, right? The way he just came. You guys, that is a lot of work. But it says that he does it with joy for a sheep. 
Why? Because of the value, because of the worth of this sheep. And even that, he throws a whole party. He is, he is so glad to see that this sheep is not dead or mangled or has killed itself falling off a cliff somewhere or something. He's so over a sheep. And then he says, and, and, and the women, the woman who goes, you know, she realizes that one of these 10 coins is gone because she dropped it. It fell out of the pouch or out of this rag or out of a drawer, whatever she was keeping it. And she is fallen down and she knows it's in the house somewhere. She knows that she can find it. But it's kind of dark in the house, so what does she have to do? She has to grab a lamp. She has to take the oil that is usually reserved just for keep lighting things up at night, right? She's gonna use that, as much oil as is needed in that house during the daylight hours, but she has to find this coin. Why? The resources are worth it. It's a lot of time, it was a lot of effort, it was a lot of resources, but it says she found, it was, she found great joy in finding that treasure. Why? Because of the value that it had to her. That was a coin, so Jesus kind of brings up, without bringing up the question, it's like, so wouldn't a father who's lost a beloved child, wouldn't he also employ all of his resources, all of his strength, all of his effort in order to find that child? And the, the crowd's saying, well, yeah, you'd think so, but he tells this story, and is that what we see happening in this story? I mean, we read this story, and it looks like, it looks like the father's just willing to sit there just sit there and passively wait until something good happens, until a son finally makes his way back home. And you guys, don't we think about God in that way sometimes? Don't we look out in our world and we say, God, you just seem to be sitting there. There's so much tragedy and hard things that are happening to people, these people that you say you love. And sometimes we get so stirred up that we just can't wait for God anymore, right? And so we take it into our own hands. We, we get our posse together. We get all our resources. We get everything together. And we go out, we say, if you're not gonna look for these people, we're gonna go look for them. We're gonna go chase them down. And so we get all our resources and we get all our strength together, everything we can muster. And we go chasing after them like we would a sheep or a coin. But I wanna ask you, <laughs> well, especially, I mean, it stirs up in us. We, a lot of times we're chasing after friends, right? And they're far from God and we're like, somebody's got to chase. We're, we're chasing after family. Sometimes we're even chasing after our own kids that have wandered away from God, not just from their heavenly father, but they've wandered away from their earthly parents as well. And it does, it breaks our heart and we feel like we have to do something. But I want to ask you, how well is that working for you? Because in my experience, what I found is that when you ever take an adult human being and you try and get them to do what you want them to do that they haven't determined that they want to do yet, <laughs> then they tend to just run farther, and dig, their, dig their heels in further and try and get, continue that journey as far away from you as possible. So then I almost feel like Jesus steps up and he says, well, yeah. Obviously, a search for a fleeing child is gonna be a lot different than a search for a sheep or for a coin. When a sheep leaves, it has no ill intent towards you. It just is wandering there, mindless animal, just wandering and something gets its momentary attention and draws it off course and it ends up in some ravine somewhere. A coin, I mean, it's even more simple than that. You drop a coin, it, just, it has no intent whatsoever. It just sits there until you kind of decide, hey, I gotta find this, and you find it. It just lays there waiting for you. But how 
How do you find a prodigal child? The answer to that question is actually found in verse 17 through 20 of our story. When we left last week, we found that the prodigal son, he had gone out, he had tried to do his best, and he had he'd gotten, he's, he's in a bad place now. He's in the middle of a famine. He has no food. He has no funds. He has no friends. The food that he wants is actually the food that's only fit for pigs, and they won't even give him that, right? But in verse 17 through 20, it says, when he came to his senses, the son said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread to eat? But I am here dying with hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So just make me as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. To bring the son home, the father knew that his son had to decide that he wanted to come home. To bring the son home, the father knew that the son had to come to the conclusion that it would be better to be anything, any position in his father's house, better than being anything anywhere else. With an adult human being, the person has to choose to return. When we come back to God, we choose to return to him. But not because he hasn't been searching for us the whole time. His search for us takes all of that into account. I mean, look at, look at what the son said. Look at what it says about the son and what he said when he finally decides he's gonna come home. What drew him back to the house was what? Was that he remembered. He remembered the father's house and he remembered the father. He remembered that this was the place, he remembered that place that in spite of all the reasons that he had given for, lean, for leaving in the first place, he knew that the love and the security and the safety of that place was, was better than anything that he had found outside of it. So he remembered. He knew that even though he, he may not have liked all the rules, he may not have liked all the responsibility, he may, not have, he may not have liked how everybody was supposed to treat each other with respect or, or that there were some people that you know, he, he wasn't like treated any greater than anyone. He may not have liked all that. He may not have liked those things, but those were the very things that had probably held the house together while he was gone. In spite of the fact that like we saw last week, he had financially devastated this house on his way out the door. But it was those things that he didn't like so much that would probably be also the things that would actually leave the door open for him when he came home. So the son chose to return because he remembered the father. He remembered the father's house and the father had been instilling that in him before he even knew he wanted to leave. When I said that the father had been pre-packing his belongings, it wasn't like he wanted him to go. He just knew that if he went, he had to have a way back and he started preparing that way back. And what he packed for him was that memory. When the son left, what he brought with him, he didn't even know it, but what he brought was this picture, but the standard of what a good house looks like and what a good life looks like in that house and what a good father looks like that runs that house. And he had gone out saying, you know what, I think I can find a better 
life. I think I can build a better house. I think I can be a better leader of my household. And he went out and he threw his greatest plans up against it and all of those crumbled. By the end of the story, what has he left with? Nothing he brought, but he's left with the one thing the father gave him. He's left with that one thing that the father had packed before he even knew that he was going. And so now he looks at this and he pulls it out and he remembers and he decides, you know what? I need to continue the search. I need to continue my search for the best house I can find, for the best father I can find, for the best life I can find. But I know now that there's only one place I'm gonna find it and that's in my father's house. And he decides to go home. You guys, when God seems to be sitting idly by the sidelines while our lives unravel, he's probably not just sitting by idly, he's probably looking for us. He's just letting us get to the end of ourselves. Let us get to the end of our plans and our biggest ideas of how we're gonna make a life without him, in spite of him. He's letting us everything crumble to all that we're left with that we grab hold of and we, we can clearly see and remember the thing that he's planted in us. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. And even so, people still can't see the whole scope of what God's work is from the beginning to the end. We can't see why he's planting it there when we're, it's happening. We don't know how it got there but it says he's planted it in us and he plants a vision of himself and his goodness in us so that when everything falls apart, in spite of we, we go out and we try everything, but when everything else falls apart and all that we're left with is that, that vision of him. He knows when we each reach the end of ourselves and the end of our plans, then our search will finally turn back to him and we'll decide we need to go back home. That was his plan the whole time. God never beats us over the head and forces us to come and be his own. He always invites. He always has this thing embedded in us that we don't even know is there until we get to the end. But it's the thing that will lead us home. So where does that leave us? What does that mean for us? Well, first, some of you guys are probably in a place in your life right now where you feel like things are unraveling. And in those times, we tend to say, we tend to say it's because God has forgotten us. I want you to know that if you're in that place where your life is unraveling, God has not forgotten you. He's probably waiting. He's probably, not probably, he's always searching. He's looking. And why? Because he loves you. As if you were the only child on the planet that had left home. And he is leveraging everything he has, his wisdom, his understanding, everything that he has in order to bring you back to the place that he knows is the only life that is meant for you, the only life that is good for you, the only place of safety and supply and just grace with him. So make sure that if you're in a place of unraveling that it isn't because you've forgotten God. Make sure that it isn't because you set up a plan for your life that you're gonna try and pursue something that really has nothing to do with him, has nothing to do with what he's called you to be or to do. Make sure you're not watching it crumble because that's what happens to all plans that aren't his own. That's what happens to all houses that aren't of him. 
they all will fall. God will always let us get to the end of ourselves. And we hate that. <laughs> but you don't have to wait till you get to the end of yourself to turn back to him. Right? You don't have to wait till everything falls apart before you turn back to him. You'll have to give up some stuff that you've you had all these dreams and plans and stuff. Maybe you might have to set those on the altar and just say, okay, done with that. Let's go your way. But you don't have to wait till everything falls apart. He just wants you to know that when you do, you'll still have one thing left and you'll still have an invitation back home. But if you're in that place, let go of it. Let go of it. Let go of your plans. Let, let go of all this, you know, I'm gonna do this life without God. I'm gonna do this life and I hope he comes along with me. Let go of that thing. That's nonsense. You're gonna find out one way or the other it's not gonna work. Turn back to him. Because he's waiting. Not just waiting idly. He's searching. This is his plan and he wants to bring you home. Second, second is this. Because some of you guys are in the house of God. You guys have made your way into God's house. By his grace, you've accepted this, this amazing invitation that Jesus has given us. You've made it in the sense that not by your works, it's by his grace and he's made you his child and, and you're there. And what does this story have to do with you? Well, if we're there in the household of God, a big part of what we're called to do has to do with how we treat each other, how we see one another and how we, what we are doing, what are we seeking to do in the lives of the, now this has to do with how we treat each other in this place, has to do with how we treat each other um, when we're in our families or with our friends outside of this place. It has to do with parents, how you raise your kids. Because the point of what we do here is not to use any means possible, not to use every force and every manipulative method possible to keep people with God. That's not the point. It's not to keep them from running. Because if they're gonna run, they're gonna run. And if they're gonna work hard to make sure they get to run, they're gonna work hard to make sure. And the harder you resist, the harder they're gonna fight you, and they're gonna run anyway. And I don't know if any of you guys have lived that side of the story out. Right? We all do it. So why do we think we're gonna be the one, you know, <laughs> the one person that's gonna keep somebody from actually taking that trip? Because there's only one son who didn't leave the house. And I don't think that's gonna change until he comes back. But if we're back in the house now, our job, big part of what he calls us to do, to join him in his search, is to help imprint on those who haven't left yet or help imprint on those and remind those who have of the love of our Father and the beauty and safety and security of his house because that's what they're gonna need. They don't need all the best wisdom that we have. What they do need to know is to have this picture of the eternity of the house of God and of the eternity of the love of their father so that when they find themselves in that place of devastation, they know that they can always turn back. They can always turn around. They can always come home. You guys, that... We need to remember that that's our part in God's plan to save the prodigal. It's not to go out there and try and rescue people that God doesn't seem to care about anymore. It's not that. He may use us to join us. He may put on us to say, hey, you need to go out and do this, that, or the other thing, but it's not to save them. He's in the process of saving them. 
We just need to either imprint on them or to remind them of that thing that they already know that they have embedded in their heart, that they have a good house waiting for them and they have a loving father who's waiting for them to come back home. Amen? You guys, there are some, I think, some practical ways that we can, we can do that. But the greatest one is just how well are we loving each other? You know, one of the reasons I say, you know, gather some people around, get to know them. You can't love anybody that you, you're not connected with, right? Why do we have people over to our homes or in our backyards to have barbecues or meet them over and have a picnic that we don't even know yet? It's because we are constantly in the work of imprinting people with the love of this place, of this, this home, this life that we've been called into is imprinting that on them and reminding them so if they ever go straying off, they remember They remember what they left and they remember the father, the father who loved us all. And that's why it says we we don't love each other because we thought of it. We love because he first loved us. We love God because he first loved us. We love each other because he first loved us. It all comes from him. Amen? We can do that. We can love others outside of this place in a way that reminds them, just stirs up that eternity that God packed in their bags before they left. Amen.